शिला गुरुदेव की जाए श्रीमान महाप्रभु की जाए श्री हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जाए गौर भक्तवृंद की जाए गौर प्रमानंद हरिवो सो गुड मॉर्निंग टू ऑल ऑफ यू फ्रॉम रालिक नॉर्थ कैरोलिना My pleasure to be with you all again for our series of lectures on Vaishnava etiquette. Today we are in our meeting number thirteen, where I think let's see we may be may be finishing with our section on Nam Japa, Diksha Mantras, and Sankirtan. Today we will be mostly focused on the concept of Sankirtan, congregational chanting, and all that it implies. So it will be our third meeting. In connection to this particular section uh, regarding Vaishnava etiquette, hmm, in connection to Srinam hmm, mantra and so on. So, as usual, first let's have a brief recap of what, of what we were studying during our last meeting last Thursday, our second section meeting concerning. Diksha Mantra Nam Japan Sankirtan, where we were sharing some ideas about different types of japa, speaking about japa in the mainly our last meeting, three types of japa: bhajika, upamsu, manasika, or verbal, uh, whisper-like, or mental. Also, we mentioned one being considered. Uh, Higher than the other, if you will, but mainly in the sense of manasika implies that if you are really chanting japa in your mind, you cannot but be focused on that. While you may be chanting verbally, but your mind may be somewhere else. But it doesn't mean that necessarily someone who is chanting bhajika japa, for example, is in a lower mode. Because as we mentioned, Haridas Thakur will chant the three types of them. We also hear Mahaprabhu himself chanting japa loudly. That's described in Chaitanya Bhagavat. Bhaktivinoda Thakur himself, in the last period of his life, he was practically screaming while chanting japa to say it ecstatically. So we will say to them, "Oh, that's lower japa. It's not manasika." So the idea, while manasika is mainly considered higher, is because it warrants that you are really focused there. But you can be chanting manasika, bhajika, or upamsu japa, and being absorbed mentally as well. That's the idea. And in order to promote that absorption, that proper concentration, some other advices were shared. For example, regarding the asana, the posture, hmm, ideally chanting japa in a seated position in an asana, hmm, the one who may be more comfortable for oneself. In some case, in a chair, if you cannot sit, or even if you need to walk, you may be some do some subtle walk. But also, as we mentioned, be careful not to make that a sightseeing event. Or some distraction because again some other things will start to be going on at the same time of your chanting like walking and maybe seeing sightseeing and what not maybe talking and who knows what so the posture is important the hearing as we mentioned is important the pronunciation is important as well uh, we mentioned this situation that if you wanted I don't know if you did the homework or not I, I'm not expecting you will be some public 
testimony, but if you would like to share maybe in the quick Q&A or maybe in the chat or maybe personally, but how it was if you were able to record yourself and hear your pronunciation or to film yourself and see how you were passing the beats hmm, properly, in proper number. Hmm. So again, these are technical details, but the conclusion is whatever is best results for your particular case, that will be the best. Eventually, Mahaprabhu is saying there are no hard and fast rules. And he says, so by mentioning the word smarane, he's referring that there to, to japa. Of course, there are some things to share, as we mentioned, not to enter with the japa mala to the bathroom and here and there, but also there is some considerable flexibility about what fits in the best, best way to each particular case. So also we have to retain common sense, practicality, but also be sincere about what's really favorable becoming for our chanting and we also emphasize the importance of making some effort in our practice to get grace that's a crucial factor to invest good amount of endeavor in the context of mercy mercy doesn't mean less effort but actually implies more if you realize the undeserving great nature of the gift you have received so then we share some other more Practical concerns that are of also of common sense, at least for me, not to put your malika on the floor while doing pranam. Do not have your malika in your hand because you are putting that to the floor and you will be offering pranam with only one hand, which is not considered suitable. Mm. Try not to touch your body while chanting japa. Mm. Try not to use your malika as a wallet. Mm. Try not to use your upavita if you have one as a key ring or whatever. We try to wash our malik, especially if it's white, and we also shared some words why generally the white color is used for the malikas for the bead bag. Mm. We share some ideas from Hari Bhakti Vilas about different types of japa malas with 108 beads, 50 and so on, different material for the bead, different motivations in the chanting also mentioned there, but of course we have in a particular type of focus in that connection. We share how to chant Jabba, how to move from the bigger count to the smaller, not to pass over the, the main count, the main uh, bead, the Sumeru mount, sometimes called. Also the counting of the rounds, ideally you can chant in Grantis, which is multiple of four. You, know, you can chant four, eight, twelve, sixteen, and so on. Our index finger is outside of the bead bag, and we share some reasons why. The accuser finger, the Satan-like finger, as we mentioned, which is the meaning of Satan, the accuser one, the gossip one, the enemies outside, or whatever. Also, we shared, interestingly, due to one question of Brigo, but some consideration about the conception of chanting a lack, 64 rounds, and the virtues of that, and the dangers of that. I spoke these days regarding something that Rigupat also mentioned that we were speaking that some people saying we can chant 64 rounds alike in two hours rather than that they have some techniques so I spoke these days with some devotees I know from there and they told me that actually it's not happening if someone is doing that I don't know what type of chanting is doing because again the point is if you make the numbers if you chant 64 rounds in two hours it means you chant one round in one minute and 45 seconds so I don't know how you are doing that. <laughs> it's too quick. Even in the mind it's too quick, I will say. But again, we have no problem if you want to do it like that. And, it, and that's helping you sincerely. Okay, interesting formula. <laughs> 
So we shared some ideas about this concept of lack and Mahaprabhu only eating in those who chant the lack and the context of that. And eventually we ended up with the conclusion that we are not after a number, but quality. Quality, and we have to understand also the dynamics of the time, the language of the time, the society of the time, where Mahaprabhu say those things and so on. So, that's a brief recap of what we saw last week. Today we will continue with our series on this topic, and mainly focusing today on Sankirtan almost exclusively. So I consider there are some interesting things to share, to bear with me. So, in the same way, we already share some considerations on Vaishnava etiquette about chanting Diksha Mantras, chanting Nam Japa. Also, it will be important to know certain principles when we engage in Nam Sankirtan. So today we will focus, mainly focus on that. But as usual, let's share some brief, brief oriental, conceptual orientations, sorry, some, some bandha, some tattoo about Sankirtan in order to properly appreciate and embrace the practice with due regard. So Kirtan, as we know, or Sankirtan, to begin with, what Sankirtan is not. So Sankirtan, we could say, is not a merely, merely a preaching tool, if you will, to attract people, to bring people to our fold, to attract new members for the community, and much less Kirtan is an aesthetic entertainment of whatever, musical event. Sankirtan is a practice, a crucial one, for our own purification and progress, eventually in bhakti, nourishing of our devotional affinity. And this Sankirtan, as you, as you know, is intimately tied to Mahaprabhu's uh, descent and the ultimate purpose in his own experience and, and whatever happened to be the gift that came as a result of, his, of the overflowing of his own experience. Prima Rastaniri Asakorita Ashwadan Raga Marga Bhakti Loki Korite Prachanam. He came to taste Prem Rasa, but the result of that was that the Prem Rasa overflowed and became Raga Marga Bhakti Loki Korite Prachanam, the establishment of the Raga Marga in this world. So we should embrace and approach Sankirtan with that in mind. A particular type of Sankirtan, a particular type of conception in the name Nam Shrestam, Goloker Premadam Hari Nam Sankirtan. The dispensation descending from Goloka wanted to take us back there, if you will, back, quote-unquote. <laughs> so Sankirtan, as you know, is generally translated as congregational chanting or congregational kirtan, some referring to the fullness of the chanting in terms of uh, quantity, but also there is something to say about the fullness of it in terms of quality. So Sankirtan, of course, can be defined in quantitative terms, but especially qualitatively. We should speak about that. What does it mean, Sam Kirtan, full Kirtan, Samyak Kirtan, full Kirtan? Not only in connection to Sangha Kirtan, to association with others, but some particular intention there. And today, of course, you can imagine the advice we will share in the context of Vaishnava etiquette will be mainly connected to the qualitative side of Sankirtan. Because if, 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 if the quantity, even... We may have quantity, but if the quantity is not well situated in quality, the quantity can affect the quality even. As, as the, the more people without quality, that can have an effect, of, of course, on our own practice. I was reading this day something from Richard Rohr in that connection, who is a Franciscan monk, an author, uh, 
And he said, of course, in the context of Christianity, but that can extend and apply to the idea that we are presenting here of congregational chanting. So he said, social and public prayers hold groups and religions together, but they do not necessarily transform people at any deep level. In fact, group certitude and solidarity often becomes a substitute for any real journey of our own. Without an inner life, our outer prayer will soon become superficial, ego-centered, and even counterproductive on the spiritual path. So needless to say, that's not the idea with our Sankirtan, but that can happen in the name, in the name of Sankirtan. So the mere number, the mere quantity is not warranting of quality. So it's important to remain alert, if you will, about what's the ultimate purpose of us getting together in Sankirtan, in congregational uh, celebration, if you will. So the power of Kirtan, let's speak about what Kirtan is and what Kirtan should be in our lives. Kirtan has a power to transport us <clears throat> beyond our egoic identity, egoic chanting, therefore, and therefore, if that's properly in place, that experience, that potential of Kirtan, it's general, it will be generally enhanced by the congregational experience. You follow. If you have proper uh, focus to transcend your egoic identity, if you are together with other like-minded people, the congregational experiences will enhance that. So in that sense, the two meanings of, of the prefix sum in Sankirtan are complementary. If some is there, if fullness in quality is there, the more people you have with that quality, that will enhance the whole experience for everyone. But again, on the other side, if you have egoic chanting, uh, egoic chanting can can strength the be be strengthened, if you will, or can in, in a group setting. If if you get if you cheat yourself and you find other people that also will be willing to cheat themselves in a group setting, in the name of Sankirtan, we just may be promoting the exact opposite to that. And for example, when Kirtan is simply taken as a form of entertainment or to impress others with one's musicianship or who knows. So the point is whether alone or, or in a group, Kirtan or Sankirtan, in order to be Sankirtan full celebration, full glorification, should involve complete offering of oneself, entering to that fire, swaha, mm, including the totality of our awareness, feeling, mm, vital force, intent. That means really to participate in kirtan. So this is the true importance of sankirtan. A, pra a practice with every single member is really making the best possible effort to offer themselves into that fire. Mm. Because if not, again, kirtan can be something else. Once I heard... Narasimha Maharaj speaking very simply but interestingly about three, three possible levels of Sankirtan, he said. Also like the lowest Sankirtan is you are just there trying to attract other people to you, the attention to you, Pratlava, Puja, Pratishta, mm? opposite sex, followers, whatever. Mm? The second level of Sankirtan, a little higher if you will, but still not ideal, is you are just enjoying yourself through aesthetics, not like the music and the rhythm and the melody and you're just satisfying your own senses through. So that is a musical event. You are reducing the whole experience to that. And of course, 
the highest and ideal conception of Sankirtan is I'm there for the pleasure of Srinam. We are all here, not only me, but we are all here making a team effort, a team work, trying to increase the pleasure of Srinam, who is non-different from Nami, from the one who is named. So all the group together is trying to invest themselves in the best possible way in the context of Saranagati, surrender their ego into the fire of Sankirtan for the pleasure of Srinam. So for Sankirtan to be a really a celebratory movement, if you will, we should consider that such a central limb of, sa- of our sadhana should not be enacted, again, from the egoic position of independent doership. I am the one <clears throat> chanting, I am the one leading, I am the one engaging in Sankirtan. <clears throat> we know that when, when our consciousness is really turned towards our source, let's say, the name will self-manifest to our consciousness, as identical with Bhagavan. We were speaking the other day about attaining CD in one's chanting, which means you see your ista death, the, the presiding deity of the mantra. You realize the name, the mantra, and, and its object are not different. Hmm? So ideally, Kirtan should transport us in that direction. That's some Kirtan, complete Kirtan. In such a complete Kirtan, the devotee will transcend all sense of being all egoic, all egoic sense of chanting. She will transcend. She will transcend the sense of being a chanter of the name. Actually, the name hopefully is chanting us, if you will, chanting through us. That's why we should hear the name. Srinam Prabhu is not a tanmatra. Tanmatra means an object of the senses. So it's not an object of the senses that can invoke with my tongue, hear with my ear. Rupa Goswami says the opposite. Srinam Prabhu will manifest when it's pleased enough with our attitude through the medium of our senses. But without, with our senses only, <clears throat> without the proper surrender, giving of ourselves, it is impossible to contact Srinam because Srinam is not an object of our senses. We are to become an object of Srinam, basically. We are to get to that experience where the absolute consciousness is manifesting to the individual consciousness to us in the form of the name. And especially regarding Sankirtan and group effort together, we are in this age which is so complex, called Kali Yuga, the age of quarrel, victimization, hypocrisy, dissension, contention, deception, all this stuff, conflict. Uh, so, those Attributes are always there in a family, neighbors, co-workers, states, here and there. And, and we know that the antidote to such a mood, such a temperament, is love. The, main, the best way to counteract fear, hypocrisy is real love. But love sounds very like romantic at one moment, so idealistic in, one, in the beginning maybe. Just love. So what's love? How love begins? We can say cooperation. Love be- <coughs> Sorry, love begins with cooperation. And that's implied in the meaning of Sankirtan, which, of course, it's itself, again, as we say, Goloker Prema Dan Harinam Sankirtan. It's the wealth of the Prem of Golok coming in that form. So how to enter into that realm? Well, we can start speaking about cooperation between each other, group work. So Sankirtan, the meaning of Sankirtan implies this conception of cooperation, because true Sankirtan is not possible without the cooperation and surrender of the individual egos, of the participants, 
of the Sankirtan for the pleasure of Bhagavan. So that's important point. And it has to do with proper etiquette, how to approach the very idea of Sankirtan before trying to engage in it. The Mahaprabhu is saying, you want to really engage in Sankirtan continuously? Okay, you, you have to have this type of humility and tolerance and respect and modesty. This third verse, famous of Sikshastakam, is like a real summary of how to engage in Sankirtan properly. And it's a real summary of Vaishnava etiquette as well. If you really, we are, as much as we are able to embrace this shloka, we will be in safe terms, in safe land. You, you will be so engaging, respecting others, that there will be no time for someone to respect you, because you will be very busy venerating and offering respect. And all those rules of Vaishnava etiquette we are sharing, I think I mentioned this point already, but all the rules of Vaishnava etiquette we are sharing this series should be carried on in such a way that is sweetening our chanting, our relationship with sacred people, with sacred items, and we can advance without neurosis through this third verse of Sikshastakam. And the scriptures say, if you are the main obstacle to Kirtan, to Japa, to Nam, and so on, is Aparath, is offense. And this third verse of Sikshastakam is the best antidote to Aparath. So this third verse will protect us from offense during our engaging in Sankirtan. So it's very, very important. And of course, the opposite is the most unbecoming thing. To, in the name of embracing the highest ideal at the end, ending up abusing the practice, its members, that's the, it's even worse than Papa or mere sin. I remember once Srila Bhakti Pramod Purimarash heard of some devotees that he knew were engaging in Vaishnava Purat. And he said to them, they were Western devotees. Say, some time ago you were eating meat, which was not right at all. But now, after stopping eating meat, which is a good thing, you started to become to eat the meat of the Vaishnavas in the form of you are abusing them, you are committing offense. So it's better. It will be better that you go back and eat meat like before, but not offend the Vaishnavas. So again, the point is this: in, in the name of Sankirtan, we shouldn't make Sankirtan a vehicle for promoting any type of aparat. Mm. So that's all the things have to be considered when speaking about Sankirtan. So and Mahaprabhu says here, Kirtaniya Sadari. Mm. So also the word Kirtaniya, in other terms, is referred to one who is engaging in Kirtan, or sometimes it's taken as a great musician, and that's not proper. Exactly, strictly speaking, following this third verse, to be a great Kirtaniya, does not necessarily mean that you are a proficient musician at all. Of course, although relative aspects have their place as well in the context of Sankirtan, in the context of rendering, offering some pleasurable, favorable seva to Srinam. So we will share some external, if you will, details that will contribute hopefully also to the inner mood, the inner conception of Srinam. So again, Mahaprabhu is saying no hard and fast rules for chanting, but at the same time there are some considerations, nonetheless. So let's share some of them. This was main, mainly some, um, if you will, conceptual introduction to the very principle of Sankirtan and how we are to approach it, embrace it. So again, as, and as usual, to, with everything, in Bhakti there are different moods, there are different styles of doing things, there are different standards, in this case of Kirtan, of Sankirtan, it's not only one-way street. 
according to the different sampradayas, according to the different parivars in one same sampradaya, according to different missions in one same parivar. Mm? So there is diversity, it's the spice of life, as we know. So my point with this is, <clears throat> please do not develop this black and white mentality, which is the proper way to do kirtan in, in, in more... For the proper way, we already share in the introduction now, but now enter into the more relative aspects of it, that different moods and styles. So do not go mad, like imitating one kirtani and that style and that mood and comparing and thinking which is the bona fide one or, or whatever. We already mentioned which is the foundation <laughs> that will make a kirtan bona fide, which is proper attitude, proper conception. So... Of course, Kirtan has to do has all to do with inner attitude, but also we have the musicality, the external aspect of it. It also has its place, mm. as cooking, for example. I mean, yeah, the most important thing for the cooking is your your inner attitude. But also, if you don't know what how to cook at all, it's not so becoming. If you will offer to the Vaishnav something raw, something totally unspiced or whatever, mm. so there is a place for acquiring some proficiency in those practices, in those arts, in the context of serving the inner spirit of it. And so in the same way, cooking has to do with bhakti, but you have to know how to cook, so you can ideally do the, a nice offering. <laughs> so the same can apply to, to, to the musicality of a Sankirtan, on one level or another. So we will also elaborate on that. But before that, I think that it would be nice to mention, again, this is not a must and everyone has to follow in every single moment, but there is a nice standard of performing kirtan that in some Vaishnav groups are presented. Of course, it will depend on the time and so on, but sometimes they will begin their kirtan by invoking some kirtans in connection to Sri Vaishnavs, to the Vaishnavs, not to Sri Vaishnavs regarding the Sri Sampradaya necessarily. But to the Vaishnavs. So from Vaishnav, they will go to Guru. Kirtans about the Guru. From Guru, they will go to Sri Nityananda Prabhu. Some Kirtan about him. From Nityananda Prabhu, they will go to some Kirtan about Sriman Mahaprabhu. And from Sriman Mahaprabhu, they will go to some Kirtan about Sisirada Krishna and Brajalila and so on. And then they mention Harinam and so on. So it's a nice sequence. It's an interesting sequence that at the same time is helping us to appreciate how to approach each particular phase of divinity, how to enter, I don't know, Krishna Lila through the median of Gaur Lila, and how the most immediate extension of Gaur Lila in our life of Sri Guru and the Vaishnav. So, it's, it's an, it, again, it's not a must, it's not mandatory that you have to do that in that way, but it's a nice way of helping ourselves to conceive this principle of Das and Udas. I'm the servant of Him, and Him who is the servant of Him, and so on. Hmm? So also when performing a particular kirtan, whichever it may be, it's important gradually, of course these things may be learned in time, but to understand each kirtan has a particular mood. Not all, every kirtan is in the same mood. Some kirtan will be more connected to a mood of separation, a mood of union and celebration in that context, and different types of separation from Vaishnava, from Mahaprabhu, from Radha Krishna, and so on. And there will be also if we, again, become acquainted a little bit with the musicality, of, in this case mainly it will be Indian music, but there are certain melodies, in this case we will use the term raga, 
that represent a particular mood. So this is interesting. Again, with this, I don't want to discourage someone who may not have that musicality, but the point is, if you have the time and capacity to enter into that in the context of making a nice offering, that's available, and that will nourish for sure. So there are different melodies that we may invoke. It's not that you ch chant any melody or you create a melody of your own which may have maybe tinged with rajasic or tamasic moods. That can happen. I mean, that can happen. Uh, so there are particular instruments and rhythms and ragas. This is described in the, in the Shastra itself. When she, the gopis and Krishna have Rasa Lila, he describes how they are invoking different particular musical arrangements and playing this instrument in that particular term and singing with that particular mood. And all that is enhancing the experience of Sankirtan. Rasa Lila is a form of Sankirtan for sure. The parallel of which is the Rasa Kirtan of Mahaprabhu in Sriva Sangam. So it's nice to know this. Of course, having again broad-minded, not being becoming extremely sectarian. But for example, I don't know. Let me show you an example. Recently, I heard one sannyasi who was singing the Maha Mantra, but using the tune of the song of Led Zeppelin, "Stairway to Heaven," basically. <laughs> so I will say, at least personally, I'm not of the idea you take some your favorite tunes from your past rock and roll uh, samskars and put the Mahamantri in it. So you kind of, you pur purify the members of Led Zeppelin by doing that. Who knows what, how you accommodate that in your mind. I heard that same sannyasi then singing Mahamantra with tunes from Rolling Stones. So with all respect with the members of those groups, but those melodies and those songs are not composed under the shelter of the Daivim Prakritim. <laughs> it's not Daivim Prakritim Asrita. I've, I've heard once even devotees singing a whole like long place city of nirvana and singing maha mantra <clears throat> instead of the original lyrics in grunge style which was rare again it's not precisely a sattvic mood what to speak of Bisuddha sattva where the boat is making a whole <clears throat> album in the past with beatles song and replacing all the lyrics with english lyrics with with devotional intent so again one may say yeah krishna will purify us, we will purify the melodies and the song, but the point is, I have to be honest and sincere, till which point, which is my present capacity to really engage in Yukta Vairagyam, how much I can take everything, embrace everything and not be affected by that negatively, but actually purify everything. Like Mahaprabhu say, a person of the highest rank will chant Harinam in any situation, and or even people will see him and start chanting Harinam. But the point is, where are we standing in our present situation? Are we like the sun, which has the capacity to purify whatever it touches, or not? <laughs> so in this sense, there is some place for considering some proper melodies, proper, uh, yeah, melodies and rhythms to invoke proper moods. So we may invoke our Sankirtan in, in some legal context, if you will. Also, sir, there is something to say regarding the order, of, of our chanting, if you will. Sometimes, I don't know, if you are chanting a particular kirtan for your guru, for Sri Guru, at the end of the kirtan, probably you will sing Jai Guru Deva, Jai Guru Deva, or Jai Guru Maharaj, or something. You may not chant after the kirtan and the kirtan chanting, I don't know, Jai Tulasi Devi, because that's not a kirtan for Tula. But sometimes I've seen the both singing like that, you no, know, like, the chanting one kirtan to Guru and, and continuing chanting Jai Nityananda Prabhu. And of course, there is some connection and we can connect everything with everything. But it's interesting to know how to 
follow the mode. If you, if you chant Hari Bol, generally Hari Bol, Nitai Gor Hari Bol is generally at the end of the Kirtan. Sometimes it's in the boat chanting in the middle and then chanting something else because they may, the artist is going on, it's not finished yet and they do not know how to continue with the structure of the Kirtan. So they chant Maha Mantra, chant Hari Bol, Nitai Goranga, Maha Mantra again, Panchatattva Mantra, Hari Bol again. <laughs> Till the conch shall finish and they are already okay. That's my part. But there, there is some order for that, as we you know. Also, the the, the very kirtan is is in crescendo, if you will. It's, it, it ideally, it starts slowly and gradually, it's building in rhythm, in melody, in intensity, and reaching some zenith eventually. It's not something that you just start as you like intensely and you stop, and or it's always the same. Again, it requires certain musicality for that. If you don't have that, do not be discouraged. But if you have that, it's good no, good to know that there is some way of creating a particular mood. And we should get acquainted with that in service. Again, not in the spirit of musicianship only. And regarding the instruments using being used in Kirtan, of course, the main ones are already coming with us. Our heart, our voice connected with the heart. That's the most important instrument in, in Indian music, for example, the voice. We come with that from the, from from originally, if you will. No? We have the kartals and the mridanga. Kartals sometimes are also connected with clapping, which is a very important part of kirtan, I will say, sometimes underestimated. <clears throat> and mridanga, they are like the three main aspects, if you will. Mridanga, kartal, and voice. This is how the Mahaprabhus and kirtan uh, God manifested, and of course there are other instruments that are mentioned in scripture, and even are not mentioned in scripture but have been used, but ideally those instruments are in the service of these main instruments, and of course these main instruments are in the service of Srinam. Our own selves are in the service even of the instruments. It's not that I'm playing the instruments and they are to serve me. I am to serve them. For example, the Mridanga is considered the flute in Gaur Lila. So is Krishna's flute there to serve me? Hmm? Or I am there to serve the flute? Hmm? So this, again, requires a whole different orientation. I'm not here to be served, but I'm here to serve. Hmm? I'm not here to, yeah, basically to be ex entertained by musicality, but to honor and utilize that as a means to further increase the glorification. Hmm? I remember once my Guru Maharaj met a very well-known Mridanga player, a devotee Mridanga player, and he asked him, no, he asked him, he was a great musician, this devotee, hmm? but he was a very nice devotee, so when Guru Maharaj asked him, what's the most important aspect of playing Mridanga? And someone may say the rhythm and this particular stroke or whatever, and he said the Pranam Mantra to Sri Mridangam. So there is a Pranam Mantra that you can recite before playing Sri Mridangam in order to offer proper Pranam, understanding what is this Mridangam, again, Krishna's flute, I'm here to properly serve this. So he was a really good Mridanga player, especially because of he having the proper conception of it. Most important thing is the Mangala Charan, if you will, my offering of Pranam to Sri Mridanga. Well, everything else will come after that. So all of us can recite those Pranam mantras, even though we may not be able to play incredibly, if you will. <laughs> For example, in Chaitanya Charitamrita, also interestingly, there is one chapter uh, in Madhya Lila called the Veda Kirtan. Hmm? When we see a description of how Mahaprabhu divided the devotees also in various, in various Kirtan groups in the context of Rathayatra. And there that is described, there were four Kirtan groups, 
each, each one of the group had two Miridanga players and eight cartel players, so some proportions were shared there. Hmm? So you have in totally, according to two Miridanga and eight cartel players for, for each Miridanga, 16 cartel players, hmm? six leader singers, lead singers, you say, and also simultaneously they were singing the lead with six, six lead responders, simultaneously responding. So again, there was some arrangement for this. It's not just that they, out of the blue, everyone knew how to follow everyone. Sometimes all this requires for sure practice and proficiency. But it's a nice offering. Again, if you do that in the proper sense, that's beautiful. In the case of, and, and how to follow each one, that's an important point. It's not that every musician is doing their own thing in their own constellation. For example, the Mridanga player, the idea for the Mridanga player is to serve and enhance the mood of the Kirtan leader, the one who is singing, who may be somewhere else, someone, sometimes the Mridanga player is the singer, but generally there's someone else leading this, the Kirtan, so the Mridanga player is there to follow the mood of the Kirtan leader, and then the Kartals should follow the Mridanga, and there is some sequence there, for example, the Mridanga player should not be so self-centered, if you will, that his Mridanga playing becomes more important to him than the Kirtan, than Srinam, and, 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 and by doing that, the Mridanga player is forcing the Kirtan leader to surrender to whatever the Mridanga player is doing. It doesn't work like that. Again, Kirtan is not a... Sometimes they say Kirtan is not a one-man show. Hmm? One should play in such a way that that the one's playing of Mridanga, whatever, is checking the tendency for one person to exploit the Kirtan for personal self-aggrandizement. No? Kirtan is not for that. And it's very unbecoming if you really feel such a practice that has the, the, the real in, inherent purpose. Kirti means fame. So to sing the fame of Bhagavan, if someone is using such a practice, designed in such a direction to attract fame to himself or herself, I mean, that's the exact opposite and most unbecoming thing could happen. So it's we have to be attentive, careful about that. That's why Bhaktivinoda Thakur said one Kirtan should be led by a pure devotee. Because that warranties that that won't happen, <laughs> and the rest will follow that personality, or at least it will be. It should be executed under the auspices of a pure devotee mm. by invoking that grace, and that will protect the the whole environment of the kirtan. Mm. Also, in this connection, we could say that the instruments of the kirtan should not be played in a way that one cannot sing mm, along with them at the same time. Ideally, you sh if you are playing cartels or mridanga, you should also be participating in the singing, which is the main aspect. Again, the voice is the main instrument. But sometimes we see the opposite. The Buddhists become so absorbed in their instrument and trying to play their instrument in a complicated way that they can chant while they play because it's too complex, whatever they want to make. And actually, they means, they, that means that they haven't really learned how to play properly. How to play properly means you can play nicely, but you can sing. Actually, even an expert Kirtan leader is expert not only in leading Kirtan, but in following Kirtan. That's important. Sometimes one sees that. When someone is leading the Kirtan, is very expert and ecstatic and inspired, but if something happens that with someone else is leading Kirtan, that person is, becomes like... So that means, was he actually leading Kirtan or was he leading something else? So we should be expert in leading and following. Actually, there are two phases of the same coin in the context of Seba. Mm -hmm. So we have the chance to hear 
others and to repeat. For example, it's important if you are singing, when you sing as a leader or accompanying, it's nice. But it, when if you are leading a kirtan, for example, sometimes I've seen this. And I'm not saying there is bad intention, but it's good to know. I mean, if you are leading a kirtan, and then comes the turn for the rest to reply, to respond, the, the kirtan leader should not be singing again, but should be hearing the reply of the rest of the group. Sometimes I've seen the devotees chanting in their leading turn, and when others have to chant, they continue chanting also. But I consider it's good to learn to hear also, to hear others. It's a dialogue, again, it's a conversation. In, in, in any ideal conversation, the both parties have the turn to speak and to hear. And whatever they are speaking is in common interest. So again, an expert kirtan leader is expert in leading, following, chanting, hearing, and so on. And all that said, as, as we mentioned, there is also a place for musical expertise in the context of making an offering. No? Once it is said that Srila Prabhupada was, he expressed great pleasure when with Achyutananda, who was one of his first disciples when um, who stayed in India for a long time, and with Achyutananda's Mridanga playing. And he learned Bengali also and to sing some classical tunes there. But regarding Achyutananda's Mridanga player, he was really pretty expert compared to most of, of the other disciples at that time of Prabhupada. So Prabhupada complimented him and he told him, you are playing just like a professional. And again, this wasn't a criticism. He was not like implying, what you are doing is trying to play like a professional. And this is not about that. No, he was complimenting him, saying that you are playing just like a professional. He was accepting, was showing some level of competence and proficiency and Prabhupada appreciated that because he trusted that's in the spirit of service. So in that spirit... There are some considerations, extra considerations we can have in mind if you have some musicality, again, in the context of Seva. For example, the tuning of the instruments. Again, you have to know how to do that, but we can do all the things which may be seen as totally secondary details, but all of this can be transformed into favorable offer, offerings in Anukul Seva. So... If you see a professional kirtan player, which may not be a devotee, for example, sahajas, there are many sahajas who are really good kirtan players, on musical terms at least. Their, their inner content may be something we consider uh, a paradox, but they know how to tune their instruments. That's a fact. You will hear them playing very low, very sweet, and very deep resounding mridangas, for example. Mridangas, let's speak about mridanga for a minute and its tuning. Midanga constitutes like the bottom of the kirtan, like the low tone of the kirtan. And similarly, it's important to understand that the cartels, in connection to that, you have to have a tuned pair of cartels. You you play two cartels, you have to play, you try to hit one cartel with the other, and then the other with the other, and here if they are sounding in the exact same tune, that's ideal. Because the pair of cartels are out of tune, and one pitch is lower and the other higher, if you play them in that way, that can create an unbecoming sound, discordant vibration, and that can really break your ear. Maybe you won't realize that, <laughs> but that happens. So cartels constitute the high gain, as you know. When you are hearing Nagar Sankirtan in the distance, first thing you hear is the cartels. So you have to know how to play them, not too loud. loud. But cartels, their own pitch is very high, and the pitch of the Mridanga is low. So between the low, the bottom and the high end, 
Bernard and Cartel, the complementary and the mid-range will be the boys. So that's ideal again. Level of tuning. If the Mridanga is not tuned low, what will happen is that the Mridanga will intrude upon the mid-range frequency, which is the voice, where the voice is singing. So that is that each each instrument will have their own place. Sometimes also to say that ideally the Mridanga should be half the volume of the voice. And the cartel should be half the volume of the Mridangam. Because if again, if you are not considerate of that and you are trying just again, this is a teamwork. That's the point of cooperation, as we mentioned. And Kirtan's cooperation is not competition of who plays nicer and faster and louder. I've seen that, and becomes basically a rajasic competition, basically. So and, and Mridanga, you cannot hear the boys, you cannot not hear even Mridanga or whatever. Especially if you have these wampers, you have to know how to play them, when to play them. <laughs> It's not just take the instrument and start playing as fast and loud as you can. That's not necessarily service. <laughs> and of course, also something there is something to be said if the Buddhists can learn to play the instruments classically, as this classical Indian classical style. That's very nice. It goes a long, long way to enhance the transcultural, let's say, experience of Sankirtan, which is transcultural, but at the same time is is related to a particular culture that is the one that exists eternally in the Lila. We already spoke about that in our second meeting mm-hmm. uh, of this series on Vedic culture and how certain aspects of Vedic culture play themselves out in the Lila. So we should become acquainted with them. Mm-hmm. It's not just an Indian relative stuff. Mm-hmm. Of course, we should be able to separate between those relative stuffs as well. Mm-hmm. But for example, compared to the I have studied Indian music a little bit, and I have I have known I know I have some knowledge of Western music as well. So I, I speak with some experience on the field. I'm not an expert, but I can say something. So in comparison to the Western style of playing, I don't know violin or flute. If you go to the Indian classical style of those instruments, that's really much more appropriate for a style like kirtan. That's my point. And the same can can be said for I don't know harmonium playing. Mm-hmm. Ideally, Indian classical styles, they are not using like chords and so much. Again, it's not that you will go to a particular patala because you are using chords in your harmonium. But it's a way of being concerned about what enhances the proper mood that gets closer and closer to the desired goal that corresponds with what's going on there. I mean, in the Lila, there will be Kirtan, both in Navadip and Braj. And the Kirtan will be done in a particular way with certain instruments, with certain... Uh, raga and so on all those things will be there of course if you are not proficient in this lifetime it doesn't mean that you first need to learn all these things on earth before entering the lila you may be a t- terrible musician if you, you know, but a pure devotee and you are in the lila and you will be born in such an environment and you will know what to do in that sense also mm-hmm. so everything in its in particular place mm-hmm. So, ideally, again, the classical instruments of Sankirtan, Gors, Sankirtan, and Mridang, and Kartal. But other instruments can be included, for sure. Other instruments are mentioned in the scripture as well. There are flutes, and there are binas, and there are other percussive instruments. And what to speak, some other Western, more modern instruments could be included, but that has to be done with, really, with taste, and with criteria. Because, and also... To play that properly, because you can include an instrument that is really sattvic in nature, but you can play it in a rajasic way also. One can say, okay, I will play whatever, whatever instrument, 
which is sad with a flute, violin, but you can really do something rajasic with that. Like, for example, you say milk is sattvic in nature. Yes, but you can consume dairy products in excess, and that's not sattvic, that's rajasic. So you can take something which is made of sattva, and with that, do something which is made of rajas, if you will. So this same can happen with instruments. And again, we have to be honest and sincere with ourselves and be very aware, careful that in the name of Sankirtan, we are not just projecting and nourishes past some scars. Mm. Remember, some of these instruments may promote a sense of identity in us that supposedly we are trying to transcend through the very practice of Kirtan. Mm. I don't know, you may take electric guitar. I mean, you can try to use that instrument on some way and level, but generally it has more to do with another pattern, another world, another constellation. Um, we have to really be honest with ourselves, basically. Is this helping me to overcome my present sense of temporary identity and identify myself as a servant, as a member, eventual member of the Lila, according to the mood that, that is there? Or is just this a way of hmm, indulging in my past some scars, basically? Hmm? So again, the Kirtan is not there to validate our relative identity. Kirtan is there to transcend our false egoic identity. So, Falena Farishate, you judge the tree by its fruit. You pay attention to what is that creating to you, and you will know how, how properly you can, how much you can use that, and in which way. So, again, this important point when we enter Sankirtan, we enter there in order to get closer to this Das Anudas designation, if you will, not to affirm all the things that we need to transcend. So in this context also I will mention sometimes that he, I've seen the Buddhists leading Kirtan and seeing whatever melody and at one point saying, okay, now the Vaishnavis will sing, now the Matajis, the ladies will sing, and now let's sing the guys, the boys. But that's not proper at all because you are reaffirming you are a woman and you are a man and actually we are in Sankirtan to help each other to transcend gender identity. You follow? So in, if you are there reminding everyone, you are a lady, you are a man, you are whatever, transgender, you are this, you are that, Kirtan is not for that. Kirtan is we leave our shoes off and that implies all our baggage, relative baggage, and we are really trying to connect with who we are as Atma and our potential. <laughs> so please do not lead Kirtan by inviting groups. Now the Argentinian will sing, and now the ladies, and now the tall ones, the African people, whatever. No. It's not to promote Upadis, further Upadis. Mm. Some words regarding, I, I'm thinking about the harmonium also. Harmonium is a particular instrument because it's generally, I mean, it's not a classical Indian instrument, but it has kind of become part of Indian culture nowadays. So sometimes it passes as that. But it's more Western than other thing. It came with the English going to India and eventually it was adapted to be put in the floor because in India every, every, they do everything sitting on the floor. <laughs> so the harmonium, which before was some sort of keyboard you placed it on a chair, became the one we know now. But it became really, it kind of merged hmm, with Indian culture. So it's quite classical in Kirtan as we may know, even in Gaudiya, Kirtan and other lineages as well. So, some words about that. Interestingly, I, I was researching and I looked at Prasila Prabhupada once. He first said, when they were asking him about what to do with harmoniums and Sankirtan, he said, harmoniums, first time, 
originally said harmoniums couldn't be played in temples. So first time he showed a more orthodox stance. Then some, after some time someone asked him again, and he said, "You can, I mean, first time he said not in temples, only for festive programs, festival programs, special occasion." We know Prabhupada liked to play harmonium, played very nicely. Then again, someone asked him, and he said, "Harmonium could be played in the temple, but not during arctic. So for the deities, especially no." But then a third time he was asking, he say, okay, harmonium can be played during arti, but melodiously, mm -hmm. so nicely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we see he was like, mm -hmm. and also interestingly, one time he was asked, uh, what kind of instruments are there in the spiritual world? Mm -hmm. So he said, well, there is mridanga, mm -hmm. there are cartels, mm -hmm. and then he said, and there is a little harmonium. <laughs> So Prabhupada appreciated the harmonium enough to, to import to import it to the spiritual world, interestingly. Of course, there are more, as mentioned, more instruments than these three, not only a little harmonium and, and, and cartel and, 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 and mridanga. There are binas and flutes and many things described in Shastra. But the point in this case will be it's not wrong to play the harmonium, but it will be wrong, again, as we say, to allow the harmonium or any other instrument for that sake to play us. So that's the main point here. Whatever instrument you are playing, you use. You are an instrument, and the instrument is an instrument for the pleasure of Bhagavan. Do not let the instrument play you, and you become just a puppet in the world of egoic musicianship or whatever. So while instruments are important, we already have nonetheless all the instruments we need, as we mentioned. We have a tongue, we have hands for clapping, we have ears mainly tongue and ears, we can sing and we can hear. So we have to remember our performance of Nams and Kirtan is primarily based on those instruments. Our ears, our tongue, and everything else should be seen as supplementary, supportive, like an ornament, some stringer, some decoration to enhance the offering, basically. So, again, any other instrument should actually enhance and not detract from the chanting with tongue and ears. Should not distract our chanting, our hearing, our heart, our clapping, if you will, our more organic expression, immediate expression and participation in kirtan. So, the musical part of the kirtan, again, should be in the service of Srinam and not the opposite way around. Srinam is not there just as a secondary thing um, to make music the main event of the night, if you will. If not, we will have a music concert, basically. I mean, some people may come to a kirtan not being really educated on kirtan and may participate in different musical side, but at least the ones who are leading it and who are invoking a particular mood should be really informed about that. Music doesn't guarantee kirtan, but if there is genuine bhakti, even without proper musicianship, that will be kirtan. There's this famous story of one devotee who was a great Vaishnav, but he then was was not able to catch one single tune, if you will. He was very bad for singing. He he was kind of cursed for from Saraswati. He didn't have her blessings for trying singing nicely. So he went for the arti and singing for the deity with so much love, but so badly regarding external musicianship. So the pujari was doing the arti, and for him it was very difficult to tolerate that. At one point he said, "Oh my God, you are disturbing me so much." 
Better you go on the other outside of the temple, on the back side of the temple, and you sing to the deity from that place. Hmm? So the devotee went very humbly. For him, it was no limit to have a wall there. So he continued singing with full heart and out of tune. And the pujari, that moment, he put the deity to rest and went off. And when he went to wake up the deity again, the deity was looking back to the other side, to the room, to the wall, when, in the direction where the devotee was singing. So he realized, oh my God. She, he wanted the deity was Bhagavan wants to hear that kirtan, and from that moment on, to honor that lila, they constructed the kirt, the, the, the the temple in the other direction. They took took the wall off and pointed the deity in that particular direction, not to the east, <laughs> exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. So again, even it is said, Vishwanath says that Vishwanath Chakravarti that in Ruchi, even if you are in Ruchi, in the lower type of Ruchi, if you will. You for in order for you to experience ruchi, that type of ruchi, you need that the kirtan will be nicely performed with musicality, and the deity have to be nicely decorated. And if those external elements are there, you experience some type of ruchi. But he says in the higher level of ruchi, you don't, you do not depend on those things. So it's also an ex- exercise not to get also only attached to those kirtans that are only exclusively, incredibly. Performed through musicianship and so on. Personally, one of the main curtainers I like is Srila Siddhar Maharaj, who was not precisely famous for his musicianship, <laughs> but he was really famous for his bhakti. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the famous pastime when Prabhupada Bhakti Siddhanta, his guru, was passing away, mm-hmm. and he's, he asked for Sri Rupa Manjari to be sung. Mm-hmm. So he asked Srila Siddhar Maharaj to sing Sri Rupa Manjari, but some other devotee told, oh, no, you sing Srila Bhakti Pramod Puri Maharaj, you sing. Puri Maharaj was known as a great famous Kirtaniya. Famous, in a, in sweet-voiced Kirtaniya. But Prabhupada Bhakti Siddhanta stopped that and said, I don't want to hear sweet voice. I want to hear Srila Siddhar Maharaj, which has a sweet voice internally, externally may sound something else. No? So the point is here, what's real Kirtan? What's real sweetness in Kirtan? And Srila Siddhar Maharaj was famous for his... Capacity to really detect also what's real kirtan or not. Once one devotee came to him and shared some tape and say, "I like, I heard this kirtan, I like so much, but I don't know. I will, I would like to know if this is bona fide or not." Okay. So he put the tape and Shilasimras heard for five seconds and say, "Stop, that's sahaja." Mm-hmm. So he didn't know who were the singers, but he was able to grasp what is the inner conception of that particular chanting. So we gradually should become attached to that, not only. I like to hear this kirtan because on a musical level it satisfies me. I mean, again, hearing kirtan is not about uh, sense enjoyment. Mm-hmm. We should engage in kirtan also. We have this lila with Krishna Das Babaji Maharaj was recorded. His kirtans were being recorded. And he asked, why you are recording my kirtan? They would say, so we can hear them. And he said, but you have to engage in some kirtan yourself. It's not just only about hearing someone else chanting. But should, you should participate. So we can hear some kirtan, no problem. But we shouldn't make just like soundtrack or background music or sense enjoyment. But we should go to the background of that, which is the conception of the Kirtaniya here. There, how is there a Nam Shrestam here present? Kaiga's conception of the name and so on. Some few words. I will extend myself a little, some minutes today, so bear with me. Also, I think it's important when we speak on Sankirtan, of course, we have the Nam Sankirtan, which is the Yuga Dharma establishment Mahaprabhu, the chanting of the Mahamantra. 
but also in the context of Sankirtan, there are so many other kirtans that we can sing. The Giti Gucha or the Songbook, Vaishnava Songbook includes so many songs, as I mentioned at the beginning, for Vaishnava, Guru, Nityananda, Gauranga, Radha. And all these kirtans are there to enhance our chanting of our engaging in Nam Sankirtan. Some acharyas even have says things like, if you don't sing these songs, you won't be able to sing Mahamantra properly. You won't be able to understand what's the real gist of the Mahamantra. Of course, Srinam Prabhu is independent, but these other kirtans composed by our acharyas, Thakur Bhakti, you know, Narutam Das, and so many others, really uh, like expand on the content of, of Nam Mahamantra. Really unfold what's present in Nam Sankirtan. So, it should be a nice compliment to do so. So sometimes these other kirtans are sung, and at the end of those kirtans, Mahamantra is invoked. That's a way. Or sometimes, of course, you can sing only Mahamantra, no, no problem. But not to the point of totally dismissing all these other songs, which are generally in Bengali, in Sanskrit, or in other places. Some places they have been translated into the local vernacular languages like Spanish, English. And there is sometimes some controversy in that, and they both saying, "No, you you cannot sing in, in in Spanish or in English. We should sing in the original language." And I have no problem. I, I really particularly like to sing in Sanskrit and Bengali, but also uh, I think because I kind of know a little bit what's the meaning of those words in the song, so I can relate with the meaning when singing. Because also, if you are singing something in a foreign language, of course the mantras have in themselves some power, the compositions, but it's also nice to know what you are singing about. <laughs> if you are singing something in Bengali or Sanskrit and you don't have a clue, it, it may be difficult for you to really sing with the proper bhav, with the proper mood there. So it's nice sometimes to read the, the translation of the songs before singing the kirtan or after singing the kirtan, or sometimes what we do here is we read it, the, the translation and then after that we sing the Bengali corresponding Bengali or Sanskrit verse and then the next translation and so we have an idea of what we are singing in the moment or sometimes there are devotees who translate their songs in the local language and there's there's no problem also to that. Bhaktisiddhanta himself translated some songs in English in, in one of his magazines and we have some present for that in the Gaudiya history so we should be um, narrow-minded also. In that con uh, sorry, broad-minded enough to allow those things to happen. If you feel that's helping me to understand, it's like I mean, reading the book. You can recite all the Bhagavatam and the Gita in Sanskrit, but if you don't know the language, you may need some translation that will help. So for singing, that can help also. Of course, not to the point of dismissing altogether with Sanskrit and Bengali kirtan, as my Guru Mahesh was speaking yesterday. That's nice if you can learn this language languages that are part of our devotional culture that will that will help us to penetrate into certain moods and expressions as much as we can so what else some few words before finishing also regarding participating in sankirtan um well sankirtan do not only play singing but also sometimes dancing some uh, more comprehensive engaging engagement of our senses and that's why sometimes it's recommended you engage in Sankirtan you get some purification that you will be able to chant in Japa in a more more controlled mind but also we have to understand what well, that's how to engage in Sankirtan and again do not make that the whole rajasic thing 
sometimes I've heard devotees saying, oh, the Kirtan, Sankirtan was ecstatic. <clears throat> and hopefully it was. I mean, that's the idea. But sometimes we take for ecstatic, what we interpret as ecstatic, it speaks more sometimes about the level of Rajagun involved there than on real devotional intensity. Like everyone was shouting and jumping on the air and sweating. And hopefully that was, again, in the context of some feeling inside that takes you to express that in the form of different hmm, anubhavs, if you will. Like it's external expression that follow the internal experience. But again, in the name of Sankirtan and purifying everyone, it's important to understand that the ideal is not that you will start uh, just to have fun, no? Because that can happen in the context of Kirtan and jumping and shouting. I have seen even videos of of devotees doing Sankirtan and someone doing break dancing, break dance in the in the middle, and the, the attention goes there. Or some I've seen even some form of body surfing. They say that people, the body of someone is being carried by others while some Kirtan is being done there. So it kind of distorts the real mood of what's going on at that moment. Again, Kirtan is not to have fun. Try to understand this point. And I understand the beginning, as Srila Prabhupada says, some people come to Krishna consciousness wanting to be served by Krishna. And others come to serve Krishna. Another comes to be served but eventually realize I am here to serve. <laughs> so Kirtan is not to serve us. We are to serve Kirtan. So Kirtan is not to have fun. Kirtan is to learn to cry for Krishna. Rudana Yoga, as we mentioned the day, Kirtan, the yoga of crying. That's real purpose of Krishna. Of Kirtan, sorry. Crying is cool. Kirtan is not to have fun. Kirtan is not to entertain you. No? Because to entertain you means to serve you. So Kirtan is not there to serve us, to entertain us. But just the opposite. We are there to serve Kirtan. Kirtan is there to commit us to a higher, deeper uh, sense of spiritual responsibility. So if we are sincere, if our participation as Kirtan is sincere, we will be able to notice when we are actually participating in real kirtan, which Bhaktivinotaku will call the safest place in the world, and we will be also able to notice when we have stopped doing so, and we are some somewhere else, distracted by entertainment, trying to enjoy my senses, or whatever. And of course, with this I'm not saying, okay, in order to be just internal in your kirtan, do not allow yourself to express anything, because that will be your enjoyment. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying be repressive or be cold-hearted or misunderstand how and why certain specific situations may take place. There's one example from one devotee who once, once Prabhupada disciple went to visit to Siddhar Maharaj in, in his time in Chaitanya Saraswat Mat, and he was in the kirtan and he was singing and, and chanting and jumping and dancing like the like Prabhupada disciples do very intensely in that time, and not only Prabhupada disciples for sure. So and he was criticized and Sri Chaitanya Sarasmatma for dancing intensely in the Kirtan. So because and they told him the spirit of Srila Siddhar Maharaj was different according to, to them. They say in the math here in the Chaitanya Sarasmatma you are supposed to sit or to stand very quietly as the Kirtan is going on. So the devotee who was receiving this admonishment uh, like found that very strange. You know? So he could not understand the reason. So later, it is interestingly became clear to him which was the reason for that and which was the reason. The main Kirtaniya in the Sri Chaitanya Saraswatma was Madhu Mangal Prabhu, hmm? uh, the main singer of all Kirtans there. And Madhu Mangal Prabhu happened to be blind. 
So you can imagine, he was great Kirtaniya. I had the fortune to to meet him in Vrindavan, and, and and I have some pictures of Guru Maharaj also being with him, and and his last years, as like fifteen years ago. So he was a great Kirtaniya, and he was a great Mridanga player, but he was blind. So due to his blindness, he was not able to move too much. He was not dancing that much. So everyone, everybody, kind of followed his mood, if you will, and didn't move. But at one point, it kind of became the official stands there, but they didn't understand why they were doing that, some form of Niyamagraha. So we are not, of course, promoting that, that we are not to go to that extreme. So that's one Lila. Let me close with one more nice pastime before going to Q&A, about going, trying to make full circle and going back to the proper mood to gauge ourselves in Sankirtan. And once one devotee also approached Srila Bhakti Pramod Puri Maharaj, again, he was very renowned for being a humble greatest humble Vaishnav. So this devotee was complaining to Srila Puri Maharaj about the lack of quality in his own chanting, his own participation in Sankirtan. And he said, I was, I'm not able to go deep into that. I become distracted in my chanting. And Srila Puri Maharaj said to him, Baba, as he uses to start his addressing, I like this type of attitude, he said. I like this type of questions. I like when somebody laments about not being like uh, able to do something nicely. Again, not in an erotic way, but in a sincere lamentation spirit. And then Srila Purimaras gave some encouraging words to the devotees, saying like, when a Vaishnav asks another Vaishnav, how is your bhajan, which will be the way of asking between ourselves, how are you? <laughs> how are you should be synonymous with how is your bhajan? Because we shouldn't have a separate sense of identity from our bhajan. So when a Vaishnava asks another Vaishnava, how is your bhajan? And the person asks, answers, oh, my bhajan is going very nicely. Mm. Then the first Vaishnava, the one who asks, will think, if he thinks, she thinks, he, she thinks his her bhajan is going very well, he thinks he's a good Vaishnava, nice Vaishnava, he thinks he's doing great service to his guru, then he must be in a pretty hopeless condition. It's rather actually the opposite. Mm. So in this way, again, not with neurosis, but we should have enough humility to try to engage and to healthily, as Mahaprabhu said, I don't have taste for Srinam. I want to increase that. And our in- in- inquiry should go in that direction. How can I increase my participation in Sankirtan, the quality of my participation? So some ideas I wanted to share today with you connected to the the principle of Sankirtan mainly and how to engage in that and some considerations in the context of Vaishnava etiquette. So I hope that helps. And we have some minutes. I extended some extra 10 minutes today with your permission or without it, sorry. <laughs> but if you now have any questions, I have unmuted you in, in the Zoom call and as well if you are connected somewhere else in Facebook streaming or whatever, we have some minutes for, for receiving any questions you may have. I have a question, Maharaj. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, well, I, I mean, it's, yeah. So I, I really appreciate that. That was really good. And um, I have a lot of the faults you spoke about. And I'm wondering how can, my main thing is how can I go into a kirtan? Because it seems like I can go into a lot of kirtans and see the things that you pointed out, but to not, I don't want to be going in and finding fault with devotees because, well, I don't know really where their hearts are at, but maybe they mentioned. 
So how can I go into these kirtans and not find faults with the devotees? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course, our participation in kirtan is not from the perspective of fault-finding. That's the exact opposite, as we mentioned. Kirtan is done in the spirit of glorifying Bhagavan. So when I mention this, it means, when I mention that point, is let's give an example. If at least I know hmm, that I'm going to a place that I overtly know they are engaging in, I don't know, apparat to my Guru Maharaj. That's one example. I mean, in some cases you may know that. In that place, my Guru is not welcomed. So, strictly speaking, I have nothing to do there. I mean, I, I won't feel this is a, a place to stay. Now, this is not Kirtan for me, because a pure devotee is being offended. So, that said, of course, in another case, you may be participating in some Kirtan, and you may not be aware of that, and, and we may not even have the capacity to to detect, no? which is the the quality of the Kirtan, if you will. And again, if you are a high personality, for example, it is said that sometimes Krishna does Babaji Maharaj, he was seen joining kirtans of groups that were considered like heterodox, according to Gaudiya Vedanta. But he was such a devotee that he was not affected by their so-called heterodoxy, but actually he was affecting them, if you will. But again, that's a symptom of a greatest personality. So we should be aware, we are, we are, we are ourselves, where we are situated and try to gradually develop some discrimination, but in a healthy way, healthy discrimination, not thinking just every kirtan is the same or they're singing Maha Mantra. Maya Bhattis may sing Maha Mantra as well, followers of another lineages. And it's not that we are condemning them, but also we are here to try to, to nourish a particular approach to the chanting, to develop a particular mood of chanting, a particular prospect. So we need certain particular bhakti samskars in order to, for that to happen. So in that sense, we will become careful, not neurotic again, not critical. So sometimes we may happen to be in a kirtan or we are invited or we are there and someone is chanting and it's not that I will take some type of thermometer, uh, bhakti thermometer and see, oh, well, let's see, it's bona fide or it's not bona fide. I mean, we will be there. Of course, if you have some perception, eventually you may be able to perceive, as Silas Yamara said, he heard the tape and said, this is a hajja kirtan. This is not Kirtan. This is a Hajja. We may not be able to do so. We may be in India. That that happened in India. You have so many things. <laughs> and you may think, oh, all of them are devotees. All of them are chanting Maha Mantra. And that may not be the case, at least concerning our own uh, perception. So sometimes you need to be guided by higher Vaishnavs and Vaishnavs and devotees and Guru that where, where to go, where not to go. Okay, not not to become critical, but just to take care of of the of the little bhakti creeper that we are trying to carefully nourish, and and it can be affected by different currents and so on. So this is not to be sectarian. This is not to stop appreciating the diversity. I mean, we can even participate in interreligious events, and everyone will glorify in their particular aspect of divinity. And there is a proper way to do so, but also there is an improper way to do so. So someone may be glorifying, I don't know, Jesus or Muhammad, if you will, <laughs> with a proper healthy conception, and someone may be chanting Maha Mantra with, in the context of Vaishnava Parath. Mm. So, and we will just... And again, if you don't know that, and you are invited, you happen to be in particular Kirtan, 
and, and, and it's okay for you to be there and you feel okay. It's okay, no problem. It's not that you have to be like paranoid or I don't know if I should be here, what's going on. But if eventually you happen to realize there are some things that I should take some distance from in order to to take care of my uh, engagement in Sankirtan, of course, there's also something to be done and said in, in that regard. Mm, to something like that. And if you have some doubts in some particular cases, you can also ask some one can ask some senior Vaishnavas about certain particular experience one, one may have had and one may need some further clarification. So something like that, some common sense and something that may be healthy and sustainable, not no neurotic and not, again, fault finder and so on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, here is one question from Tadas in the chat, so I will read that one. He's saying... What will you suggest for background music? I've tried to listen to chanting or kirtan while working, but then I ended up without making work and without properly heard chanting. Is it okay to listen to something not so spiritual to help to finish to help to finish not so spiritual task faster, like to calibrate yourself accordingly and then do some spiritual activities properly? Well, there is again not one one single answer, as my Guru will say. Once will say one size does not fit all. But how to say? It's a it's a it's a particular question that may have so many specific applications, if you will. Now I don't know if someone is driving a car. <laughs> let's say let's give some extreme example. And the person is having to drive for seven hours in a highway that is all once without any movement. It's really boring, if you will, and you are falling asleep. And if you put a kirtan, you may fall even more asleep because you are falling asleep, not because of the kirtan being boring. And the person may say, I need to put some loud music for a moment so I remain awake and remain alive. <laughs> Again, it's an extreme case. So one may consider that in order to save one's life, as my guru must give the example. Well, if you need to drink a cup of coffee to survive and not fall asleep in the context of some guru seva, that's an exception to the rule. Again, you shouldn't make a rule out of that. But generally, yeah, you can put kirtan in the background, no problem. I mean, it's a purifying atmosphere. It's something that is helping. You may not be able to f follow that. Personally, my personal case, I generally, again, and there are different types of patterns of personality. Personally, I do not practically hear music because whatever I'm doing, and depends on what one is doing. You know, I'm a lot writing. So generally, if I put music in the background, I kind of become distracted because I have some mus musician DNA. So I go more with the music and I forget doing whatever I'm doing. And maybe something like that happens to you, like you are mentioning. You put the kirtan and you become distracted of what you have to be doing. <laughs> And you are not fully engaged in the kirtan as well. So should I put some other music? Or well, you can try with no music at all. I mean, it's not that you have to have some background music at every single moment. Sometimes to have music always, that may be also a type of distraction. Sometimes it's nice not to have music and to hear inner music, if you will. To hear our thoughts, to, 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 to deep, uh, be introspective about something. And sometimes putting music at every single moment. I, I'm not saying... That's the case for everyone, but that can happen. We can use Kirtan as a distraction tool also on one level. Sometimes it may, as we were speaking the other day with, with uh, Mahara, 
It's not necessarily you have to be pronouncing the kirtan everything every time you everything you are doing. You can just be in silent, but trying to hear or to dip contemplating something your own self. And sometimes you have too much sound outside, maybe distracting. So it depends on the particular case. But I, but I wouldn't say uh, putting something not so spiritual because I mean, what I don't know what's the meaning of that. Of course, you can put I don't know some classical Indian music, instrumental devotional music, which may be some raga, which are ragas that are devotional in nature. I do that sometimes, and it's it's it's, it's okay, no problem. There are there are again mel there are melodies that are according to particular seasons connected to some lilas of Krishna. So one can do that. Another thing is say not so spiritual music if you mean with that Led Zeppelin or Rolling Stones as I mentioned before. <laughs> That's another thing. Now, that will take you... And you may say, no, but with that passionate rajasic music, I can finish quickly whatever I'm doing. But who say that you have to begin, finish the things quicker? If the pay to price in that sense is that I have acquired further material, some scars through that music, was, I mean, for me, it's no gain that I finish something quicker. Yeah, in quantity, you do it quicker, but in quality, you increase your material conditioning by hearing that music. So... As much as we can. Again, I know this is a subtle point and for some devotees it's difficult to stop listening to non-devotional music altogether and still there may be some tendencies there. But at least in principle we should understand. I mean, that's not favorable for bhakti. I shouldn't try to make an excuse of that. And as I mentioned, I will I will use those melodies for kirtan. It's like forcing too much your material samskars into the bhakti realm. At least try to understand that. I'm not saying you have to become dysfunctional. Sometimes you may need to hear that for a while and hopefully realize this is not fulfilling myself. I remember myself when I joined the temple. I, I was a musician. I loved to hear music. I was hearing, listening to music all day long. And when I went to the temple, something in me, my guts told me, you sell all the CDs you have. And I had hundreds of them. Sell all of them day one. And, and, use, and give all the money to the temple. Who knows? Maybe you will want to hear them again. So you force yourself into that. So I, I did that. No problem. I do not repent. But after some months, I was thinking, oh, maybe if I hear again this, whatever, Pink Floyd. <laughs> and I somehow rather get to some tape of that to hear again back. And for me, it was like, oh, my God, this is... I mean, I was expecting the same experience I had before, but it, it's not possible because... In between that, I had so many other experiences regarding bhakti. So the other thing that was overwhelming before now was like nothing, basically. So again, this has not to be a, a forced thing that you are having going through a cold turkey, abstinence, and you are driving mad. I, I want to hear that. I want to hear that. And you are all day thinking about that. You may need to hear that and, and realize, oh, this was not the great thing. And, and, I, and you continue. But yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to end up speaking about that, but that's a point. I mean, that's something that will affect our consciousness. Not that it's the same. I hear this, I look this movie, and I, I mean, all those things may be helping us to validate our material sense of identity or help us to transcend that. So, I hope that helps. <clears throat> okay, so something else. We are almost in time, but I don't know if there's any last question. question about uh, chanting the Diksha Mantras. I'm sorry I wasn't able to uh, listen live last week, so if you no might problem. allow this. Uh, yes. A friend of mine, a friend of mine some time ago, he 
told me of, about hearing this instruction that if a person is in the situation that it's evening and they haven't chanted any of their Diksha Mantras yet, obviously not an ideal situation, but so instead of chanting all of them uh, entirely, they could do a condensed version of uh, only saying each one of the Diksha Mantras once as opposed to ten times. Mm-hmm. And going through them like that three times to sort of make up for the all the three times during the day. So the question is, so the question is what's my opinion on that? What's my opinion on that? Yes. Well, I will say that that's not generally the rule. And as we mentioned, it generally say that Diksha Mantras have to be chanted at least ten times each. But I will, at the end, say that's up. To your guru. I mean, you have to fix those things, those standards with your own guru. It's not something also that you yourself make up. No, like, okay, I don't have enough time, so I, I will think, I think I will, I can adjust this, like, and you adjust your sudden as, as you wish. That's not, of course, the idea, but one can speak with one's own guru and, and try to fix a particular way of dealing with that. Or maybe your guru will say, well, instead of chanting three times a day, you can chant once a day. You can, I don't know. Each guru will give different standard to different cases. As our guru Maharaj will ask you, ask his disciple before giving Harinam, <clears throat> how many rounds do you think you can chant? How many rounds do you commit to chanting? So not everyone will say the same. And he will adjust to that. Or sometimes he may say no, more, <laughs> or whatever. But the point is, there is place for dialogue, conversation. It's not some fixed thing that only can be done there's or something also not to the other extreme that I can adjust that as I wish according to each different each day <clears throat> so if that person that you mentioned was speaking with his guru and for certain reasons that was a fact okay I, I mean I'm not criticizing that but the point is each of us has our own guru so we should uh, deal with those things in a more yeah personal way it's not that okay he did like that so I can do that like because my situation is similar. Yeah, but maybe my guru is not similar, if you will. So those things ultimately have to be uh, adjusted in a more personalized way. And that's part of yeah the relationship with, with Sri Guru. It's a personal thing. So we are individuals with our personal capacities and times and whatever. So some of those things are need to be adjusted in, with one's own guru and not so much with how someone else did that because... It's, I mean, it's nice to hear the other standards and to learn from the diversity if that's properly expressed. But also we have our guru and our commitment with our guru and, and naturally we will do things in, in that particular way how we are being instructed by our guru. That's the very idea of having a guru. I mean, you may have some other <laughs> gurus, Siksha gurus, but also the main, general, the main Focus will be with your Diksha Guru, with your main Guru, which generally is this Diksha Guru. There may be exceptions to that rule again, but we need to have some particular direction where to to point ourselves and to follow. No? Because if not, there are so many possibilities and standards and ways of doing things and we can compare and take this, take that, and that may dissolve our commitment in, in one particular direction. So at the end, yeah, that's to be spoken in confidence with one's guru and some uh, arrangement will be made eventually. So I will I will recommend that basically. 
So thank you very much to all of you for your presence. And well, I think we can finish now. We already have spoken quite a while. So if there are any further questions, you may share them. We may continue speaking um, next uh, Thursday. Yeah. Shila Gurudev Ki Jai. Sriman Mahaprabhu Ki Jai. Sri Hari Nam Sankirtan Ki Jai. Gaur Bhaktavrinda Ki Jai. Gaur Pramanam Nariyo.